नमस्ते आई एम शुभम अग्रवाल एंड यू आर लिस्निंग टू एस ओ एस सीक्रेट्स ऑफ स्टोरी टेलर्स अ पॉडकास्ट वेर आई इंटरव्यू ऑथर्स एंड राइटर्स फ्रॉम द वर्ल्ड ऑफ बिजनेस लिटरेचर एंड मेनी मोर डोंट मिस आर द लास्ट सेक्शन वेर वी गेट टू नो सीक्रेट्स फ्रॉम द स्टोरी टेलर दम सेल्स यू नो वेल एवरी फैमिली हैज एट वन मॉडल ब्रिलियन स्टूडेंट आई वॉज ऑल्सो कोटेड माई कजन सिस्टर्स एग्जाम्पल टू फॉलो हर स्टेप्स वेन एवर इट केम टू स्टडीज इन एक्सेलिंग एट अकेडमिक्स and rightly so she was by far the most intelligent and the smartest in our family but honestly she had it tough herself she always wanted to become an aerospace engineer but couldn't find any college in india which was at par with global standards she was also concerned that you know there were not enough opportunities for research uh, or a career in this field in the country and it took almost an year of persistent convincing for my uncle to finally agree to send her abroad but then not everyone gets that opportunity right our guest for today Mr Varun Agarwal identified that gap and the dearth of opportunities our country faces for scientists and researchers due to the lack of focus in science and technology he authored the book leading science and technology india next which is a deep research into the who where and how of building a research ecosystem in india to give you a little introduction about one uh, he is a researcher an entrepreneur and an author in 2008 he co-founded aspiring minds Varun is an engineer from NSIT, which is now NSUT, as you know. Uh, he went to the MIT for his masters in electrical engineering and computer science. His work has led to the world's first ML-based assessment of coding skills and the world's first automated motor skills assessment. He's also published more than thirty research papers, and his work has been covered by many national and international media houses. He also started ML India. You can find more about it on www.ml-india.org, which is a platform to build india's ai ecosystem and organize the world's first data science camp for school children varun was awarded the humis award in 2006 for developing uh, algorithms that mimic human intelligence and he loves writing uh, poems and stories so let us welcome him and let us get to know more about the book and the author hello varun uh, welcome to secrets of storytellers hi shubham thanks for the opportunity to speak on your podcast pleasure pleasure to have you here So what I want to start by you know asking uh, and I've heard uh, you speaking about this in some of your previous talks as well you talk about these public intellectuals and you know considering the recent lockdown and the covid-19 times every other family group on whatsapp has indeed become a whatsapp university in itself but you know on a on a serious note uh, do you think india's differential approach of jugaad or frugal innovation or as you like to call it Uh, low cost innovation can be the most opportune need of the hour yeah so shubham you are right there's a lot of misinformation about covid you know and we did a survey which showed that awareness about some of the topics on covid is good but on some other was not very good for example when we asked people that what do you think the lockdown will achieve many people thought that it would eradicate the virus and we'll be able to vigorously restart our work and the economy after the lockdown goes away of course that has not turned out not to be true of course people who understand the science of it knew that that was not the aim of the lockdown but you know one silver lining on the black cloud when you talk about this point about public intellectuals is that we are seeing a lot more scientists on tv right so okay. the point which i make in the book is that in india you would hear from entrepreneurs you would hear from politicians you would hear from businessmen but you were not hearing from scientists so the one good thing covid has done in the long term is to bring our public in face to face with these people who are called scientists uh, and directly hearing from them 
which I hope will inspire a lot of our youth to take the scientific career going ahead. So that, that's what I'm calling the silver lining on the dark cloud that probably for the first time we did see scientists as public intellectuals during this COVID period here in India and across the world. Right. On your question on whether frugal innovation is the need of the hour, I think the need of the hour is what we call as translation of science or implementation of science to create great processes and to create right kind of equipment, tests and ventilators, right? Mm-hmm. right? Because we need to fight this virus in a short period of time. So what we really need is that we are being able to put smart engineering to implement our scientific knowledge to make sure that we can diagnose people well, we can contact trace well, we can, you know, cure people well and so on. So we are in a in an implementation period right now, which needs collaboration of scientists, policymakers, implementers, engineers, and so on. So it is truly a very multidisciplinary environment where we need to implement solutions fast, drawing on to all of these things. And frugal innovation is a part of it. So being able to do low-cost innovation is definitely a part of it when we think about ventilators or when we think about uh, tests. Having said that, I think, again, one of the learnings out of this pandemic is that India needs to become, as the Prime Minister says, Atmanirbhar also on its science. You know, the global supply chains were broken. We could not get reagents. We could not get uh, equipments and parts from other parts of the world, mm-hmm. which which if India had a vibrant science ecosystem of itself would be available here in India itself. So I think the long-term learning we have out of this is that India needs to build its own science ecosystem and that's not from a point of view of uh, quote-unquote Swadeshi, Mm -hmm. but we need to to have a vibrant science ecosystem which collaborates with the rest of the world. So I think that is another learning which I hope policymakers have taken from the COVID crisis. Right. So, you know, you, you also shared the example of an iPhone in the book, which, you know, basically uses all the technologies, which were actually born in various research universities. Now, it took an intelligent businessman like Steve Jobs, who brought it all together to create an irreplaceable device like, you know, the iPhone. Now, the, there are two concerns here that I have. How do entrepreneurs in our country draw on such examples when both research universities and industries are seen as two separate entities? And if I were to take a step back, is there enough research that our entrepreneurs can draw on? So, Shubham, uh, let me take your second question first and get on top of it. See, the problem of research in India is that we do not have critical mass of high-quality research coming out of the country. So, what I mean by saying that is that if you look at India's research output, which is generally measured in terms of the number of research papers scientists in a country would publish, and the number of citations they will get. If you look at India's contribution to disruptive research, we are, you know, China is 7x as much as us, and USA is 17x as much as us, right? So our total base of good quality research is very, very low. That means Hmm. that we we do have a few pockets of excellence here and there. Mm -hmm. But if you look at us as a country of more than a billion people, we don't have critical mass of good researchers and good research coming out of the country. So definitely that's a problem. We don't have enough good research happening out of the country and people have to draw on to research, which happens in other parts of the world. 
and that kind of creates a delay. So there's a very simple example. If you look at when did deep learning, which is now this very famous technique within AI, yeah. first came up was in 2012. And then US... China, all of them accelerated on the AI roadmap, put a lot of investment in it. Private companies put a lot of investment in it. Yeah. And that came to India at least three, four years later. And it's still coming to India. We're still not there by for long where China and US is in AI. Right. So till we don't have our own vibrant research ecosystem and critical mass of researchers who also collaborate with researchers across the world, we will not be able to solve this delay issue. And it's not only a delay issue, but both delay and being able to get the full benefit of the research that is happening. Right. So that's the, that's the answer to part of your question. The other part, yes, you are right. I mean, that is the problem that people think about research universities, industries, startups, all as distinct. People still don't understand. And I'll give you an example. We ran a survey where we asked people who invented deep learning, mm-hmm. where options were, was it Google, was it Microsoft, was it someone in the University of Toronto? Maximum people chose that deep learning was actually invented at Google, which is not really true. Right. Deep learning as a technique was invented on University of Toronto by a researcher called Jeffrey Hinton. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. When we talk about to people in India, they think that innovation comes out of startups and through entrepreneurs, which is correct. But all the policy focus is then on build policy focus and capacity building focus is then on building entrepreneurs and starters. But what they miss is that a very critical part of creating cutting edge, uh, newest startups is, you know, having a vibrant research ecosystem and to your point, which is connected to the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Why Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley? Because it is co-located with some world-class university. University of California, Berkeley, and so on, and many other universities in that region. And that is that nexus between startups and research universities that leads to cutting-edge innovation. Right, so the tandem is really very important, and I think... uh... Yeah, and we need to create that ecosystem, right? So it's policy makers, it's also people who are helping build capacity, and so on. I'll give you an example. In IIT Madras, Mm -hmm. they do have an industrial park and an incubator joined with IIT Madras, which is a very good idea, because that is something which can spur things like this. But we need many, many, many of these. See, when you do cutting-edge innovation, which happens as a nexus between universities and the industry, there'll be a lot of failures. There'll be a few successes. So you need to create a critical mass of experiment so that we have enough successes which inspire people to do more. Right. But while we are the third largest economy, we're still behind, much behind on the innovation parameter, innovation metric. Now, do you think startups, you know, the point that you talk about the nexus, are these startups doing something fundamentally wrong in the sense that, you know, they're not reaching out to these research communities or also that the fact that, you know, new age entrepreneurs need to change their approach, how they look at business because they're not really coming up with something which is novel. So, you know, I would not blame the entrepreneurs. I think it's just the kind of institutional structured policy environment uh, we have, which is leading to this. Right. Having said that, you know, where the entrepreneurs need to change their approaches to raise the bar. They need to start asking themselves the question that are they creating something which no one anywhere in the world has created. That is happening mostly out of India. What we are doing mostly is that, oh, this is a successful model in the US. Exactly. And how do we replicate it in India, right? That's where we need to 
the approach and say that can we create world class companies out of india where we are the first one who did it and and scale it across the world right so there's nothing which says today that you can't build a world class b2c internet company out of india uh, right. just because the world is flat given that you can do all the sales and marketing on the web but we still don't see any such companies there are some good mm-hmm. b2b examples but they are also not really innovation driven that are they doing something which no one else is doing it is not there so my my advice to startups is that it is we need to raise the bar we can't be copycats and we can't be me too we need to be beyond being a copycat and say that these are examples of companies which have been created in india right. uh, which no one not no one has created anywhere in the world and that's why it is a globally successful company so that's that's what my advice would be why can't we create a tesla from india which would exactly. be a little harder because there are ecosystem issues but then a lot of innovation on the internet on ai which doesn't need physical infrastructure very much can happen from india but it is high time we need to start running those experiments right and get in that league and it will take yeah. some time but once we have a critical mass of experiments running there will mm-hmm. be some success and people will say see i think right now the barrier is that we don't have such indian examples so people cannot even think that they can do it draw on yeah it's almost like a glass ceiling and once we break that glass ceiling and there's one mm-hmm. big example right i think it can spur right. the ecosystem right hoping that happens soon but there's another concern here then again because what i feel is there is the lack of opportunities or the examples or you know the policy structures and all of that we talk about but then there is another side to the problem which is there's a lack of talent enough talent in the field of research and i am reminded of a report that uh, your company aspiring minds established sometime back which said that 80% of the engineers in the country are not skilled enough for a regular job research definitely definitely needs much more than that do you think it's the universities and the colleges or the students to blame for it see uh, uh, the problem of indian education system is that there is both a uh, issue in the quality of mass education that is not very good and then we also have an excellence problem so we are not if you look at are there these pockets of excellence which are as good as anywhere else in the world that is also not true so we have both a problem of massification of education and we also have a problem of excellence right. in education right so for example we would have no university which would compete with an mit very few professors who would be of the caliber of someone at an mit or stanford right so that's mm-hmm. the excellence problem which we have now to your point the problem on the research talent in the country is that if we survey the top undergrads of this country which we did uh, you know people who have bachelor's degrees only 20% of them are interested in going in a research career within india mm-hmm. so look at the top of the class 80% of people are not interested in research right, right. and that's why we don't have the best people going into research right? uh-huh. so mm. i how many of your friends were thinking about doing a phd in india so what i say in my book is that phd is a lackluster career in india <laughs> and university is the most ignored community in the country really no one cares about them uh, they are invisible community which exists whereas if you look at most of the innovation which has been pushed across the world has been by phd students right right so yeah there again a role of the policy makers and the lack of autonomy with universities and so on which has made research a lackluster career 
and that creates a talent problem right i'll give you another example which people can relate to right there is a popular show right big bang theory Correct. here in the west right so you just see that there's a whole lot of public understanding and acceptance of what a phd is and what are these phd students they have in some sense a life of their own when i was at mit we would all read something like called phd comics oh, okay <laughs> between phd students wow, but in okay. india we would see phd students even in cinema right. you do see them on tv you know they are like again uh-huh. really a non existent and ignored community so if you want better talent in research we need to say that how do we create world class phd programs right. and how do we get people uh, to join these phd programs i give another example in my book and i'm sure during your undergrad the number of companies who have come to your campus and said that you know join us made a presentation and taken you through a test correct and said that come and join us do you recall an example where a university said that why don't you join our phd program yeah never right true that's the problem so the industry is coming advertising themselves the phd programs are sitting tight mm-hmm. you know and saying that oh you know be our guest if you are interested in us but that's not the way they should be they should be going out and publicizing to the university graduates that they why not market it exactly yeah. i mean that is like one of right yeah you have just india degree and you will understand it right we don't market it we just sitting tight Correct. in government institutions and saying that okay you know uh, we'll oblige you if you come to our door and that's not how it will work so that is that is more of an example at an uh, institutional level which we need to change but this right. is the problem of talent in research in india it is not that we don't have uh, if you look at it as a supply chain people coming from school to college and so on there are enough people who come in college who have caliber for research True. but we either lose them to the industry or we lose them to the us right i think uh, you've very beautifully pointed out something uh, which i realized was something that whatever happens in the society is portrayed by the entertainment industry and you when you speak about big bang theory very right we do not really have any show in fact i'll be honest i do not know phd comics exist you know so the fact that the society at large needs to talk about more of it is very true and the and these are some of the very active mechanisms how you know these things are being taken up by people because when the probably the movies or you know tv series would start talking more about it people will be interested looking at them as you know as a career option as a as an ambitious career option rather right right so it is yeah so yeah. you know society it's like a, it's like a yin yang right society ah, is the right. reflection of the entertainment industry and vice versa correct and it's not happening right and uh, we we can we can we can change that right and that really points me out to the next question which i have we generally see people raising concerns and really solving for it i'm sure the multiple discussions on you know why is research not great and why is it not happening in india and all of that but you're someone who's contributed significantly to growing the prominence of science in the country you've suggested 16 principles in the book and uh, it also led to the foundation of the india science festival the largest science fest in the country the first edition of it happened in pune uh, which had a footfall of more than 13000 people which is i think remarkable but what do you think this indicates about the enthusiasm of science and uh, how did you manage to gather such an audience also sure no so uh, you know the interesting thing about india science festival was exactly the problem which we were talking you know just before this question that right. we said that we get scientists to talk to the society face to face and one interesting 
which came out of india science fest when we surveyed our participants 43% of them said that they met a scientist for the first time in their life <laughs> okay right? so one of the big goals was to demystify science and the idea was that uh, you know how do you get scientists from across the world usa europe china southeast asia and so on and right. get, get them to give public talks to students do workshops their interesting exhibits their genetically modified flies there's a driverless car and so on and you know i always thought of that i am creating a mela and it should okay. be like a diwali mela that was right. always the idea that we need to make science fun and we need to make it celebrated like something exactly and where and yeah. that's the good thing which happened there were all these talks happening but people were clicking selfies people were eating oh, wow. you know our speakers were said that we felt like celebrities because as soon as we gave our talk we were like hounded across the campus people asking us questions clicking uh, mm-hmm. photos with us and so on and there were games happening and there were like kids and parents who were picnicking and so on this was like one of the <laughs> biggest questions i also had that how will we get people and we we took it by the horns and said we'll be ambitious mm-hmm. so we created space for simultaneously seating uh, more than 5000 people across four different you know stages and i remember when i and my wife visited the venue 3 months before mm-hmm. the festival uh, she said varun what are you even thinking why do you have all this space you know right. we have a hard time filling a hall of 50 people for a science talk yeah, you're sure. not doing yeah. okay uh, if, if you ask me uh, my biggest fear on the start of the event was that will people turn up uh, why i think they did turn up there are two three hypotheses which we have mm-hmm. one is that the way did the programming uh, was that we had a lot of focus on ai which is hot these days we had world class speakers so we had a vs ramachandran you know who's one of the most renowned uh, neurologists uh, in the world we had arnav kapoor from mit media lab who's very popular so we had some very popular speakers and we had good programming if you see the breadth of topics it, it, we had ai neuroscience we had uh, quantum physics we had uh, biotechnology we mm-hmm. had a driverless car and so on so i think the programming worked for us one two i think pune was a very nice city to do this right i yeah. think it does has some scientific temper and scientific history it's a college town it uh, has a lot of science institutes uh, we do see people having a science temperament there so we did a press conference which was covered very very well in all major newspapers in pune covered the festival which led us Mm-hmm. the whole aspiring minds uh, ability to get into colleges and have relationships with colleges was also very helpful uh, so we partnered with a lot of local colleges to do this and i think what it showed is that there is a latent demand for science in india exactly yeah. yeah that was one of the learnings we had so you know we got i don't know what really worked it could be that we only had 1000 people on the day of the festival which we got 13000 so today i am in a position to give you all the reasons <laughs> <laughs> right right it would not have worked but i think one learning people can have from isf was that we were ambitious we said that let's give it a shot and we'll get the people and one speaker the one thing which really worked for india science fest was that they are all the speakers from speakers from usa mm-hmm. and i think we overwhelmed them with the scale and size of the festival so when they came in and agreed to come to the festival they thought that they'll be in a room with some 200 people right and we just bludgeoned them with thousands of people so <laughs> there were people who said that they couldn't imagine that uh-huh. something like this will go on. so everyone went extremely happy and thought uh-huh. that india could do something on scale for science and i think that's the big
Wow, that's that's wonderful that you know it could go to that scale. But how are we coping with the times and you know conducting the next edition is what I'm concerned about. Has the crisis forced you to understand the value of science and scientific research, and how do we build our awareness about the latest in science? So you know, one of the things for uh, India Science Festival was that we cannot do it like we did last year, which was a yeah a little bit of a setback because we wanted to make it bigger and larger. I'm sure, time. but. we have taken it online so in january we are calling it now the india science month online ismo oh, wow. uh, where we'll have a full month of science activities uh, across the month which will include talks which will include workshops which will include round tables which will include science games and so on uh, and we have started to program it already we'll program it completely in the uh, next few months uh, we just did a small uh, webinar on epidemiology and it's for you know 400 plus people turn up so i am hoping that this time we will we will probably have 20 30000 people join the various talks in the festival online mm-hmm. so i am excited about it it's a new medium and we are experimenting uh, with it and we'll see where it goes but right. i think uh, by that time everyone would be really very comfortable with the the entire virtual meeting webinars and calls i think you probably might see a huge jump in fact taking it online uh, that that's what i'm hoping <laughs> let's hope that comes yeah. true right so uh, one you know you've also talked about how jawaharlal nehru and his vision for science uh, and technological progress of india has been kind of dwindling even though the iits and similar institutions have paid us enormous dividends especially to you know the it industry our progress in scientific research and innovation still seems slightly disappointing as per you if you were to pick out one or two things where have we gone wrong along the way uh, what are the short term and the long term measures concrete measures that the government can take to fix this yeah see i think uh, you know what i talk a lot about in the book is that it is not that jawaharlal uh, nehru didn't have a vision for science and research he did but what was happening at that time in the world and what nehru also did for india was that people thought that education and research are different two different things creation mm-hmm. of knowledge and spreading of knowledge was thought of as distinctively so universities were given the job of spreading knowledge and then there were these research labs uh, like the csirs of the world which were given the role of doing research as so nehru did that very well he created a lot of research labs in the country but universities were not centers of research right that was the big mistake which happened so if you see the rest of the world is slowly understood that the most productive research comes out of universities and they move their investment in research and their personal investment in research more towards universities but in india still the most of the investment in the government investment in research goes to research labs if you just think of it very simply if you don't have great research universities where will people do phds and if they are not able to do phds who will become scientists and work in the government lab so you really need great research universities so that is one of the fundamental errors which happened in india's um, science policy that mm-hmm. they over time they were not able to bridge this gap between universities and research said another way between spreading knowledge and creating knowledge i can give you a very simple way of thinking about it you know look at the ministry of science and technology and then there's the ministry of human resource and development and i think they should be integrated that shows you how we have thought of it separately they need to be together right so so that is one of the big picture things which went wrong other than that 
you know one very simple way of thinking about what is going wrong in the science ecosystem is to think of the question that what was going wrong with the indian economy pre 90s right, right. So pre 90s right. we were at a 3% growth rate some yeah. economists were saying we are at a hindu rate of growth you know and then we did you know liberalization and everything changed now some yeah. people say that oh india doesn't do great research because indians are superstitious people and all that nonsense it's not about that it's just about that you need to get the policy right and get in the right institutional structures and then we will see the way the economy started uh, you know growing at a tremendous pace we will see indian research growing at a tremendous pace right. the problem is the same with uh, science which was there with the economy uh, the problem with the economy was there was lack of autonomy what we used to call as license raj and that's why there was lack of competition because everything was government controlled um, so there was lack of autonomy and lack of accountability the government liberalized it uh, our economy started growing that's the same problem with us today with the science ecosystem there's lack of autonomy mm-hmm. and there's lack of accountability lack of accountability at an institutional level lack of accountability at the level of a professor mm-hmm. and then there's lack of autonomy once we unshackle these two problems you will see india's science uh, blooming like india's economy bloom uh you know there was someone who uh, you know who had the statement which i liked and he said that in the 90s we unshackled lakshmi mm-hmm. it's time we unshackled saraswati and if we unshackle both lakshmi and saraswati then you know wow. we'll, we'll definitely become the world's superpower right now right. unfortunately saraswati is still in shackles <laughs> that's just because the government very tightly controls you know who gets money how much money can universities give to their professor yeah. what they can and do and so on and we need to just unshackle that system we are on the right path probably we are realizing it is i think the first step towards it yeah i think we need a public we need public will and we need institutional will and we need political will for this to happen you know like one question which i ask is that how many of us demand our government that we want world class research university or we want to do world class science we don't right and that's where i'm saying that we need public will we need the public to start saying how many newspapers talk about the lack of good research in india and once that starts happening that will start you know moving the needle and the government to start taking note of this right so uh, you know on that note what would you suggest for the listeners who really want to establish themselves into the field of research see you know i think what you are saying is totally right first of all and i have already talked a lot about why it is the case because of the policy and institutional structures we have so i do not talk more about that but what i can tell listeners is that there are now some pockets of excellence in india where we do have world class phd programs the government has done and is continuing to do more and more reforms in phd programs like pm research fellowship 3 4 years back where now Uh, pm research fellows get 75000 rupees per month as stipend there's more travel money to go out to conferences than there was ever before we do see influx of good young faculty coming from some of the top institutions in the world to become professors in indian universities mm-hmm. we do see professors at least in disciplines like computer science electronics and so on making good money over and above their salary through consulting projects so there is an opportunity today where doing phd and taking up career of a professor or even being a researcher at a microsoft research or a google research 
you know in certain fields again like ai there's demands of uh, of phds even in companies like an ola or um, you know or a flipkart and so on right so the career is, is blooming you can make a lot we are in times where people do make money after doing a phd we are, mm-hmm. we are in times where people can have a career which has social respect after doing a phd and i think what i would advise to the listeners is that if see if they are interested in research first they should explore what people do in research so that to know whether they are interested in research or not. and if they are interested in research they should you know they should scratch a little under the surface and see what are the opportunities there are today in india and they'll find that there are some good opportunities uh, which are as i said earlier in this talk that there are pockets of excellence mm-hmm. which are there in the, the country and they have to find those pockets of excellence and and take up those opportunities great i think thank you for the advice okay so uh, when we've reached the last section of the podcast uh, it's been a wonderful discussion with you this section is something which is a very interesting one and it's my personal favorite as well so as you know the we we calling this show secrets of storytellers so i ask every one of my guests to to reveal that one secret about say the book or you know your journey while you were going through the book that uh, you would like to share with the listeners <laughs> yeah so i don't know how much of a secret it is but i think uh, who writes a book knows that uh, it is a hard and thankless job <laughs> that's <laughs> common across all the episodes that i have <laughs> so never write a book as a career uh, don't take up writing or think <laughs> as a career it's totally a thankless job but uh, you know it's few people like you who make us thankful <laughs> who want to cover it in a pleasure so on. right having said that i think uh, the secret is that how do you keep the momentum of writing mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and how do you how do you keep making progress and i wrote this book during a time when i was newly married okay and then half of the book was written before i had my baby and half of it was written after i had my baby okay and i completed before my baby turned if i'm not wrong 6 6 months or so okay uh and uh, you know so what i would like to say is that with all these constraints you can still write a book and uh, what needs to do is that my secret was that you have to wake up early that's the only way <laughs> okay to write a book you need to wake up at 5:30 or 6 and okay. get that one one and a half hour to write generally when you write for one one and a half hours you are not able to write more mm-hmm. so it goes in these small bursts of uh, one to two hours where you write and i think the biggest secret and this was an advice which was given to me okay. when i can't recollect but i think this was an advice which worked very very well that have the discipline of waking three or four days mm-hmm. early early in the morning and write for an hour hour and a half that's how you can write a book while getting married while having baby and running a startup <laughs> we should ask that about uh, that side of the story as well from your wife i think <laughs> how did, how much did she <laughs> help you and support you in the in the whole journey i'm sure she was a big support but, uh, but yeah she was very supportive and i think right. i think the the biggest support i think you can get is if she doesn't ask you why you are doing it because right. i said it's a very thankless job yeah. and i think what one in 100 books will become really really famous and successful <laughs> right. so if your house you know things that it's a worthwhile thing to do knowing the economic reality of it i think that's the biggest support wonderful wonderful so thank you so much for sharing that and i think that uh, that's a big piece of advice for every budding author as well so great thank you thanks again shubham 
to share about the book in the journey thank you so much it was a wonderful it was wonderful uh, having you on the show and thank you to all the listeners this is shubham signing off until the next secret and the next storyteller bye bye